Father, we're just so grateful that we know God because of Jesus. We're so thankful, Father, to know you, to know Jesus, to know Holy Spirit, the Godhead. Eternal life is all about knowing God. Jesus made that powerful statement in his high priestly prayer, John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they might know you, thee, the only true God, and Jesus the Messiah whom you have sent. Lord, becoming your disciple and then making disciples is all about knowing God in a deeper way. To have more of your eternal life released in our lives. And we want to just share this joy of having this contact point with God with everyone that we know. And especially those that you put into our hearts. <clears throat> so Lord, we just thank you for all that you've done last weekend and all that you're going to do this weekend to the glory of God expressed in Jesus. Amen. I'm going to start out uh, tonight by sharing about some traits and some characteristics that are in the life of disciples. Now there are all kinds of numerous traits and characteristics that should distinguish disciples of Jesus from anyone else. But I want to, I want to start in the aspect of freedom. There's a characteristic of freedom that should be in the life of a disciple and be growing as the knowledge of God is increasing in their lives. So I want you to turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, I want to look at two verses to start out and I want us to see some powerful keys that Jesus gives us as he's talking to his disciples. And it says, And Jesus spoke to those Jews that believed in him, If you continue in my word, you will be my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I want to blow the shofar. <clears throat> Father, we want to hear your voice by your Spirit today. We want to hear the eternal word, Jesus, speak to us. Lord, we want to cast off every care that perhaps we entered this room with tonight, every concern of this past week, every burden. Again, we want to just lighten our load. We want to cast every care upon you because you care for us in an eternal way. Now, Lord, give us ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is wanting to say to us individually and corporately this evening. Grant this, Lord. Amen. I want to share three keys out of these two verses that have really stood out to me over the years. Discipleship begins with faith. Jesus spoke these words to Jews that believed in him. <clears throat> who believed in him. As disciples, we believe all that Jesus says. We acknowledge 
that He is fully and the only Lord and Savior of the entire universe, not just of my life. So discipleship begins with faith. Faith. Secondly, discipleship is based on abiding in the Scriptures. If you continue, now that Greek word is meno, if you continue, if you remain, if you abide in my word, <clears throat> it's the word logos there, which is the written word. You abide in the logos of my word, spending time in my word. You will be my disciples indeed. You'll be disciplined ones, and you're going to come to an experiential revelation and knowledge of truth. And truth will both set and make you free. It does both. Spending time in the scriptures is a distinguishable trait of disciples. And I, only just this week did it dawn on me a reminder of, there was a fellow in Jerusalem that I met. He's a Jewish believer, Israeli, born in Israel. And his name is Menel Kelishar. Now I know that Menno is not a Hebrew or Israeli name. It's not a Bible name. And I said, boy, that's an unusual name. I've never heard anyone named Menno. And, and, and I said, what does it mean? He says, abide. I had Jewish believing parents that raised me and wanted to give me a name that I'd always be reminded, you need to abide in his word. And I went, what a name. Menno. He said, you can call me Abide if you want to. <laughs> 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Discipleship always includes the word. So we read the word. We study the word. We meditate on scripture. And when we do that, the Word starts becoming flesh in, within us in practical ways. The, scripture, the Scriptures become actually a living reality in the lives of disciples. So discipleship is based on faith, it's based on abiding in the Scriptures, and then third, here's the result of believing and abiding. Freedom. Discipleship results in freedom. You will know the truth. You have an experiential encounter in knowing truth. And the truth will make you free. Now freedom is both instantaneous and it is a process. I love how when Sheila said that she was ready to process what God did in concerning the Father. When we looked at that last Saturday... Okay, Lord, I'm ready to process this. <laughs> no, no, this is no processing. This is a set free, not just a make free. It's a set free. Set implies an instant, whereas make is always a process. And I found that in my own life, I'm so thankful for the things that he set me free from. And the things that he sets, the 10 years we were in Haifa, it started from a drug rehab uh, ministry, and we saw... Full-blown drug addicts get set free almost instantaneously. I praise God for the times that people get set free, but most freedom has to get worked out. Most freedom is a process. His truth, 
makes us free and especially as we apply his truth to our lives. And the converse is true. Neglecting his word can also result in bondage or slipping back into sins of the past, which is so easy if we're not abiding in the word. So abiding in the word is critical to not only getting freedom, but to remaining free. So, what are some of the freedoms available in Christ that can come as we abide in the Word? Well, there's lots of them. I'm only going to share four tonight. First, God wants to really make us and set us free from sin. God's Word tells us that sin consists of basically two things. One is doing wrong, and the other is not doing right. To the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, it is sin to him. James 4.17 So there are sins of omission, sins of commission, and sins of disposition. And we need to be free from them all. Amen? We're forgiven because Jesus paid our penalty. His blood not only cleanses us from sin, it also breaks the power of sin off of us. And He is our righteousness and He's our sanctification. 1 Corinthians 1.30 Before we received God's salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus' atonement blood, we had to sin. We had no choice in it. We were born in sin. That original sin. But now, in Jesus, whether or not we sin is a matter of choice. Jesus broke the power of sin. Romans 8, 2 says, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So freedom from sin. I mean, we could look, there are books just written right on that particular subject. But the second freedom that I want to just address is freedom from self-love. What a wonderful result of abiding in the Word is that we become more focused on Jesus than we do ourselves. At least that should be the fruit. Our lives end up really revolving around Him, not around ourselves. And as we abide in Jesus, we become less obsessed with ourselves and growing more in love with Him. We are living in an age where there is radical obsession with self. Just watch when someone starts taking selfies. They don't just take one. I mean, I've seen them get in every position you can imagine. 50 different pictures of me. We are so self-absorbed. Mm. Hearing and receiving correction actually becomes easier as we sit in the Lord's presence and listen to His Word because He begins to give us the desire to change and to become more like Jesus. We learn to humbly apologize quickly 
as true disciples. That's a good litmus test. How quickly do we forgive? How quickly do we apologize? How sensitive are we to the Spirit's leading to embrace that measure of humility? We find it easier to ask for forgiveness. And serving and preferring others becomes a joy rather than a duty. So freedom from sin, freedom from self-love. Third, this is a big one. Not that the other two are light ones. But the freedom from fear. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The spirit of fear tries to intimidate us to make us shrink back. I can attest to this. For many years, I was frequently attacked by the spirit of fear. At times, it would make me just so shrink back. That's a whole testimony in itself. But let me say for any of you that struggle with fear, and this this is the greater pandemic than any disease. Spirits of fear have been loosed into the earth. And there are still people wearing masks out in a park with no one around them. Signs of spirit of fear are everywhere and it has affected us whether or not we've been aware of it. Fear. Let me say to any of you that are struggling with the spirit of fear, because at times it even looks to affect me in these days. In fact, this afternoon I had a little bout for about two minutes. Speaking the scriptures out loud is part of the pathway to freedom. Taking authority over this spirit of fear that looks to intimidate us and have me shrink back. In the name of Jesus, I just take authority over that fear. Leave me in Jesus' name. We have the authority to speak like that and pray like that. Speaking the scriptures out loud and asking the Father for a greater revelation of His endless love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. 1 John 4.18 You know what fear does? And because I was subject to it so often for so many years of my life, it immediately has us expect the worst. That's what fear does. I had a friend years ago in one of the churches that I was a part of in Illinois. I remember he asked me to pray for um, something that was on his neck. It was a big red area. And, uh, and he just said, I want you to pray. I don't know what it is, but I, it might be cancer. Maybe I'm going to die. And I just went, wow, okay, well, let's pray. And, and he, he was so shaken by this. And as I was just quiet, the Lord said, tell him it's just a big boil and it will go away soon. A boil on the neck. He thought, cancer, he's going to die. You see what the spirit of fear does? It has this rush to the end of life. We expect the worst. It shows us where we need 
to fear God and to trust Him all the more. Fear comes and it knocks on the door easily. But as we believe and receive God's love, God's love begins to create a shield that fear cannot penetrate or at least stay there long. I mean, even today, preparing to share this word tonight, psst, that little attack. And once you know it, it happened when I, this afternoon, Jenna came home, I'm sitting in the chair, I'm relaxed, I'm getting back, I'm just about ready to just take a little nap, maybe a 10-minute power nap, and all of a sudden, I couldn't stay in that position. I get up, and she goes, battling fear? I went, yeah. It knows exactly where to attack and how to attack. There is victory in Jesus' name. And those of you that are struggling with that know that God has a way of escape and an authority that he wants to release to you to bind and to break that off of your life. You know, a common fear is the fear of death. A lot of people fear death, including believers. And it's right alongside fear of pain or fear of suffering. For believers, I think we can also expand that. It's a fear of dying to self. Many people fear giving all of their rights to God. And subconsciously, a question comes. You ready? What will God require of me? That is rooted in fear. It's rooted in fear. But when we die to self, we give God the right to choose our way for us. Amen. And as we grow in the fear of the Lord and worship Him only, fears will fade. They will fade. Jesus wants to build us so strong in these last days because it says in the last days people will die from fear because of the things that are coming upon the earth. So the time to battle against fear is right now before it's loosed into ways in which people die for fear. No, we have the terror of the Lord upon us that protects us from all the rest of the fears that the enemy can throw. The author John Bevere wrote, If you desire the praise of man, you will fear man. And if you fear man, you will serve him. For you will end up serving what you fear. Freedom from sin, freedom from self-love, freedom from fear. The fourth one, freedom from the need for man's approval. These four are huge. Huge. One of our deep emotional needs is to be accepted. And fear of rejection often influences our decisions and it can easily control our lives. So as Jesus' disciples, we are to be concerned with what he thinks, not what man thinks. Our chief concern should be to know God's will for us, not what others' will is. So I'm just touching on these. But here are some freedom traits that 
are available in Christ. Uh, there's another significant trait of disciples. This is important for us to know our authority that we have in our God. In Matthew 28, 18, I think we can gloss over this opening statement that Jesus gives before he gives the Great Commission in verses 19 and 20. In verse 18, he says, All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. And we just simply just read on. Jesus said, All. All. Authority. In heaven and on earth have been given to me. What does the word all mean? The Greek word here is pas. Here's what the Greek word for all means it means all inclusive, every part, every one, every way, thoroughly all encompassing. He has it all. All authority. And as disciples of Jesus, we yield our rights to Him. We fully surrender to Him and He gives us His authority. What an exchange. What an exchange. What a glorious partaking we can have of His authority if we are under that authority. By living in obedience to what he says. We come under God's authority when we obey what he says. That's our sign of being under authority is how well we obey. A disciple's prayer is one of constant surrender. Complete abandonment. Anything. Anywhere. Any time. It communicates complete availability. Being Jesus' disciple affects every area of the life of his disciple. His words, thoughts, motives, attitudes, values. It influences how he uses his time. How he spends his money. And how he handles relationships. It determines how he acts, how he reacts, and how he responds. He obeys the commandments not out of duty, but out of love. And his attitude is always this. Lord, I want to live every minute of every day for you and you alone. My life is all about your life. So, I want to share one more story from Luke chapter 9. Don't you wish that we could be in a place of receiving more of the Lord's authority? Wow! Lord, help us to be so obedient that your authority flows in us and through us easily. 
that we could speak to that mountain, be removed, and it could be removed. Jesus said that. Those aren't my words. His authority becomes ours when we come under His. Luke chapter 9. Let's all turn there. This is a great story about three men who approached Jesus, and you know what? They all wanted to follow Him. Until they heard the cost that was involved. Luke chapter 9, I'm going to start in verse 57 and then verse 58 and then I'll pause. Luke 9, 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road, that's they, the disciples and Jesus, that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Verse 58, and Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Hmm. Nowhere to lay his head. This man had no idea of the amount of sacrifice that is required of a true disciple. He didn't know that Jesus sacrificed having a home, having comfort, having privacy, and that to be his disciple could very well cost him the same. Jesus didn't make a name or create a place for himself anywhere on this earth. His will was simply to please the Father in all that he did and all that he said. And his focus was continually on eternal things. May the Lord raise our sights. Set your mind on these things, Colossians says. Let your mind, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2. God wants such a deep renewal of our mind because it's going to cost us to really be his disciple. And when we are his disciple, we're going to have the same values that he has. We're going to be more eternally minded. Lord, I'm looking for the long haul, not just this simple decision. What's going to affect my life for the future by making this decision? You'll end up holding the things of this world much more loosely so that nothing prevents you from obeying God. You'll care more about the salvation of others than you do about your own personal comfort. So that was his answer to the first man that said, Lord, I want to follow you wherever you go. Look at verse 59. Then he said to another one, follow me. Now Jesus takes the initiative. Not the man, but now Jesus takes the initiative. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. Hmm. Hmm. This man was not asking permission to go to his father's funeral. Even though that can be the likely interpretation if we just read it quickly. If his dad had died, he would have been with his family at home. That's the Jewish tradition. You sit with the bereaved family for days. 
Weeks sometimes. He would have been at his family, with his family at home, not with Jesus. Also, he might have been putting off following Jesus until his father died. Let me go and bury my father. Let's wait in the future, which is likely the case. When my, fa my father's ill and when he passes, then I'll come and follow you. Or maybe he was the firstborn son and wanted to be sure to claim his inheritance. Perhaps he didn't want to anger his father by leaving the family business to follow an itinerant preacher. Well, whether his concern was for financial security or for family approval, he didn't want to commit himself to Jesus yet. But Jesus would not accept his excuse. Uh-huh. He says, I want you to go right now. Don't procrastinate. Let others live by the systems of this world as far as you, you go and preach the kingdom of God. Jesus was addressing procrastination, which can happen in all of us. He was not being insensitive to the dead or to a grief process in someone's dying. It was procrastination. Go now. You preach. Now look at verse 61. Third person. And another also came, saying, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. When we say yes to God's call, we may have to leave our families and friends. <laughs> Janet and I did that. So did Rick and Laura. They got to speak by about nine years. They were about 40 years in the foreign field. Gee, we were just a mere 31. But you know, the cost is high when you're that surrendered to allowing the Lord send you where he wants. I had to get over at times of being depressed and feeling sorry for so many missed birthdays and graduations and family gatherings and major holidays. I was the distant brother, the distant uncle, the distant son. But I tell you this, it was worth every bit of the sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Loyalty to Jesus must take precedence over all lesser loyalties. So once you decide to fully follow Jesus, here's what he's saying, don't look back longingly at who or what you are leaving. If we look back for a longing for this world in any way, shape, or form, Jesus says we're not fit. In other words, we're not in shape for his kingdom enterprise. 
or not surrender to a place of abandonment where he can do whatever he wants, anything, anywhere, anytime. We won't have the endurance and the stamina that's needed to make it because our hearts and our minds are divided. As plowing requires an eye on the furrow to be made, so a person who follows Jesus wholeheartedly must be undistracted, unwavering, with a single heart and mind. Let's pray. Lord, I just covered just a very few of the traits of your disciples. Just a few. And even these are pretty big and, and can be overwhelming. But Lord, you're longing for us to be in a place of such freedom. Freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Galatians 5. Jesus, you're so longing for us to be freed from everything concerning the world, the flesh, and all evil. Lord, you're wanting us to abide in your word, to continue, to remain in your word. You're wanting us to all have the name Mino, the one who abides, the one who continues, the one who remains faithful to sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn of him. Lord, I pray that any of us that are having any difficulty in looking back, God, I pray you would just gently grab that aspect of our attention and turn us back to having you as our central focus. Lord, I pray that these traits that I just touched on tonight and so many other traits of Jesus and the disciples that follow Jesus, what we should be radiating, oh God, that our lives would be so filled with these out of love for God that we would willingly offer up ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. That's our spiritual service of worship. So, Lord, we thank you. You're at work in each of our lives right where we are. But you're looking to bring us to a place of where you are already dwelling and you've made a room for us. I go to prepare a place for you. There's a place that you have for each one of us. It may be totally different than the person next to us or across from us. But you have prepared a place just for us. And we pray that everything that is holding us back or restricting us from entering into your call to get to that place in the name of Jesus, free us tonight, Lord. Free us tonight. That we could be freed, sons and daughters, disciples of Jesus, willing to do anything, anywhere, and at any time. Grant us that gift of surrender and absolute abandonment so that Jesus can be glorified and magnified 
in each of our lives. Amen.